0: podcast answer man episode number 202 entertaining educational and encouraging content that makes a difference this is
1: gspn.tv join the community
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this is the podcast devoted to podcasting, helping you take your show to the next level. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new podcaster, if you're just starting out or if you've been podcasting for more time than I have. We can all do things to improve our shows, and that's what I'm here to hopefully try to help you do. Well, my friends, I had left several questions unanswered. I told you at the beginning of episode 200, we're going to cover this, 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 and this. And and we covered a lot, but I didn't get to everything I told you we were going to cover. So, for example, Vince Rotolo wanted to know, uh, he's not the folks that he's contacting on Skype aren't hearing the audio clips when he plays them. Uh, Chef Tony had some questions about video products. The freebie guy wanted to know about Adobe Audition versus Soundbooth. Jim Bigley wants to know what information should he be putting in his meta tags. Keith Snow has since called in with a question about his Blue Yeti uh, m- microphone and a mic placement. and uh, And then, of course, some new things have come up that we want to cover today. Uh, And before I say that, uh, I recorded a special episode this week. I'm sure you guys are already aware of this, but episode 201 was a very lengthy, full, in-depth field recording review of the new Roland R-05 recorder. Now, I say new. It actually came out in October 2010, but because the R-09HR digital audio recorder was still so prevalent prevalent out there, and you can find it very easily, uh, I I neglected to bring it in for a review because I figured, well, as long as the R09HR is available, I'm not going to recommend anything else. I mean, why fix something that's not broken, right? Well, Roland does not take that motto uh, as seriously as I do, and they decided to fix something that wasn't broken, and by golly, they did something that I wasn't happy with. They they have discontinued the Etoral R-09HR. Now, since playing that uh, all of the things that I shared in episode number 201, I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys. And several of you have noted that, "Hey, wait a second. Roland didn't get rid of the Etoral R. Well, they got they actually did discontinue the Etoral R-09HR." But they, they, they just knocked off the name brand Edderall and have rebranded it as the Roland R-09HR. And in fact, uh, one of my listeners even sent me a PDF document showing me the new marketing materials that came back came out in October of 2010. And sure enough, it markets the new, newly branded Roland R-09HR and the Roland r 5 on the same marketing sheet and I mean it is clearly saying hey these are our two portable digital recorders and here's the differences here's the options and the features and all the accessories of both beautiful piece of material Uh, but the thing is is that this started to get me thinking did I just put out some false information did I get some bad information from my supplier I'm, I'm thinking, wait a second, if if I just told everybody the R09HR is not available, that, you know, with that being said, if you can't get your hands on one, then the ro 5 is a suitable replacement, based upon my uh, recommendation last week, I, I can't just let that go, and so, of course… I immediately spent some time uh, communicating with my supplier and asking him to do some fact-checking for me on the information that he had received that he passed on to me that it was discontinued. Well, my friends, I have a physical email from, um, was his name Jeff? I can't remember his name right now, but anyway, I have a physical email from somebody at rolandus.com And Roland has specifically said, yes, we did initially rebrand it the Roland R-09. Yes, those were our marketing materials. That is no more. And I said physical email. Yes, I did but it is physically in my presence. I can print it out, and I have it here, and by golly, I have it. Uh, just because I wanted to make sure that I have that, just in case some for some reason you start seeing R-09s pop up all over the place. But that's the thing. The first thing I did is I went to a bunch of other online retailers to see if I could find a Roland R-09HR, and the only place I could ever find anything online about a Roland R-09HR was through Roland. I, I didn't see any distributors that had those. So with that being said, I have confirmed that unfortunately, and I'm very sad about it, the R-09HR has been discontinued. It does. It's not an Edirall. It's not a Roland. The R-09HR is unfortunately put to rest as far as production goes. Now, with that being said, a lot of you have said, oh my goodness, Cliff, I have just purchased an R-09HR based upon your recommendation. You've talked about it over and over again. Now, should I send this back and get the R-05 instead? My suggestion to everybody listening, the answer to that question is no. Stay with the R-09HR. If you can get your hands on one, that's the one you should get. However, those will not last forever. And uh, matter of fact, if, if you want, go buy a bunch of them and, 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 you know, resell them if you want. But whatever the case may be, yeah, the, the R-09 HR is a better recorder than the R-05. And the main reason for that I shared last week was just the fact that the MP3, encoder on the RO9HR is much better than the RO5. Now, with that being said, I do have a draft email sent to, that I'm going to be sending with some sample recordings to the folks over there at Roland, and I am going to be clearly communicating to them, you know, what I feel about, how I feel about the MP3 encoding ability of the RO5. And while I do recommend everybody record into WAVE anyway, I still think that if they're gonna call this an MP3 slash wave recorder, that they should still do some really good MP3 recording, at least as good as the RO9HR had, especially since they're getting rid of the r 9 hr So I am going to send that email to them. Hopefully they might be able to do something to that MP3 encoder with a software fix. But with that being said, I still stick by everything that I shared, in episode 201 that the R-05 is my new recommendation for a digital audio recorder if the R-09HR is not available to you. And also, I would recommend highly anyway that you record into WAV format and then convert to MP3 after your post-production. So there you go, I just wanted to give you that very important update and uh, now we are going to move to our first call of this week, which comes from Wayne, and I'm going to continue to talk while I unlock my iPad app. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Wayne. Or No, it's not Wayne. It's Vince. Vince, take it away.
2: Hey, Cliff. This is Vince Ritola from uh, South Carolina at MovieCast.com, and this is for Podcast Answer Man. And I had a question. First of all, before I start, thanks for all the help you've given me over the last month. And uh, the Audroid recorder is probably the best thing i ever did for my podcast things are so much faster now i can do all my clips have everything at the right sound level and everything anyway which is great but i don't want to keep going on about that the question i have is i have a Mackie Mac 802 mixer that i've been using and it's been uh, you know it works well it's pretty nice but i use the aux channel on there for um my normal Uh, host which comes in through the broadcast host on that channel and uh, if I want to use Skype I just started using that because I have some friends in England we just did a podcast last night through Skype which worked pretty good and what I have to do is unplug that aux channel and run him in there into Skype which is okay but it'd be really nice to get us both on that aux, you know, there's only one aux channel, so I'm thinking about when I get the money, is upgrading to the Mackie 1402, which is cool. It has two um, aux in channels on it, so I can have, you know, him coming on one and the broadcast host coming on one. That way, I can adjust the separate volumes. I've tried uh, on the telephone having a conference call, and one ant- one caller will be lower, and you can't adjust since you only have one volume on that channel. You really can't adjust it out, so. That solved one problem of getting the second caller, say, coming in through Skype. I have a separate volume on it, which is is going to be pretty cool when I get the new mixer. But the question I had when I'm doing something like that with Skype, um, he can't listen. When I play a clip on my cart software, when I play clips, the... Guy on Skype can't hear him because I have the aux channel turned way down. Now every time I play a clip, I could crank crank up the aux channel and then crank it back down. We start talking, but uh, I don't know if you know any other way of you know getting it so you can play clips and still be using that aux channel. Now I'm assuming like when I have the guy come in and the broadcast host, I have the aux channel you know, the volume all the way down on it. I assume it's the same for Skype. Anyway, I know it's a long-winded question, but if you could give me some uh, input, I'd really appreciate that. Thanks for all you do, Cliff. Keep them coming. Bye.
0: All right, Vince, thank you very much for your question. And yes, I do have some advice for you. Well, first of all, when you bring somebody else in on the second Aux channel, if you're bringing in your audio clips, um, you know, from the, let's just say you have channels seven seven, and eight, and that's where you're bringing your audio in from your Skype as well as from your computer playing the audio clips. If all of that audio for the Skype caller and the audio clips is coming in on line seven, eight, and on line seven, eight, you turn down that aux channel then yes, you're right, the The audio clips are not going to go back and you have to turn it up for the person on Skype to be able to hear them. Now, the person on the second aux channel, guess what, you can turn that up and, and send that out to them, li- line 7-8, you'll turn that second aux channel up and the person on that second aux channel will be able to hear with no problem at all. Uh, you won't have to turn it up or down. Now as far as the person that's on Skype and being able to hear your audio clips, I have a very clear and easy solution for this. There are, there are two options for you. One, you could add a second USB sound card to that computer. And then what you could do is you could set it up so that the audio clips will play out this USB sound card and the person on Skype will actually come out of the main built-in sound card so you would continue to bring the main built-in sound card speaker jack and bring that into line 7 8 on your mixer and so that's where Skype is coming in from and then the USB sound card speaker jack would come into let's just say lines uh you know 9 10 on your mixer or whatever lines you have available so bring that in on a different line and then what you can do is you can actually send line 9 10 uh, the, you know, you can send AUX1 channel back out to Skype, and you can actually send AUX2 out to AUX2, you know, that person on the other computer. So all you need to do is actually bring in your uh, audio clips from another source so that the person on Skype can hear them. The other option, of course, is just to hook up an iPod or an iPad or... Um, any other audio device and you can actually send that audio into the mixer that way. So uh, it it could be as cheap as a $10 external USB sound card plugged into your computer as long as you can find software uh, and manage it in such a way that you tell Skype to send the caller out the internal internal built-in sound card and that would go into one channel in your mixer and then you would actually plug in the USB sound card and whatever clip software you're using, you want to tell it to send those audio clips out a different sound card, the USB sound card. So, Vince, I really hope that made a lot of sense, and uh, it is possible. And, in fact, I am, also, I am playing audio clips and, sent, and bringing in Skype callers at the same time using my 127-inch iMac here in the studio. And the folks on Skype are able to hear my audio clips because I'm doing exactly what I just shared with you. And in fact, if you want, uh, you can actually see, if you go to uh, podcastanswerman.com/studio Setup. Again, that's podcastanswerman.com/studio Setup. I have a digital video tutorial there that shows you exactly how I have everything wired and laid up here in my studio. So uh, did I just say laid up? Anyway, wired up in my studio. Uh, let's go to Chef Tony next. Chef Tony, take it away.
3: Hey, Cliff, how are you? This is Chef Tony from Bethesda, Maryland. Great shows, love all your content, and I'm leaving a message for the podcast Answer Man. I had a question about uh, you. I'm listening to um, 189, show 189, I believe, and you're talking about your video uh, products, your video download products. I'm just curious your thoughts, and maybe some of the other audience listeners might be listening, uh, might be curious about this too. Is when you talk about people paying for a digital product, are they getting access to it on your website as in a membership site sort of model wherein they can log in any time and view it on your site? Or are you letting them download the videos to their computer? Um, and is there any thought process on either or which is better? Because um, I know there's a lot of people who love to create digital products and make that part of their income stream. So just curious, some of your thoughts on membership sites versus uh, just selling a one-off product that's a you know one-time and maybe even some thoughts on coaching online and doing, because I know you're doing your um, podcasting A A to Z course, which is a different model for you. So just curious, any thoughts on there? Love the content. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Take care.
0: All righty. So my digital products, this is how I do those. Uh, when people go to my website, if matter of fact, if you do this, in fact, it, th- this is a great place for me to plug another product, if you guys don't mind. I hope you don't mind. It's my show. <laughs> and It's one of the reasons why I do this show is to kind of promote my own services and, and digital products and things of that nature. So if you go to podcastanswerman.com slash products, you will see that there are plenty of products as you go down the screen that you can add to cart and you can sign out, check out and pay and and go along your way. And in fact, one of the products that I want to tell you about is my, it's actually called My Successful Webinar and Digital Product Workflow. So for Chef Tony and anybody else that's interested in exactly how I accomplish the production and also um, the the actual um you know, process of putting those online, turning them into products, and exactly, I mean, literally step by step by step by step from creating the idea, the concept, all the way to making it available for sale on my website, I show you every step of the way how I do that. But to give you just a very quick understanding, when you actually click and add that to cart, What you are purchasing is access to the materials. And how you're gonna get that is you're gonna get a PDF document. So you'll, you'll hit add to cart, you'll check out, you have the ability to pay by any major credit card, you also have the ability to pay by PayPal if you desire to do it that way. Once the payment has been processed, then what'll happen is you will immediately start downloading a PDF document. Now that PDF document, once it's downloaded, you open it up and it's gonna say thank you for purchasing you know, this particular training tutorial series. Um, and it's going to beg you not to share it with the world because, you know, I work hard on all this stuff and it's how I make a living. And so uh, and then it, what it says is it's going to give you a link to a page that is password protected on my website. And then it, right below the link, it's going to give you the password. And by the way, if any of you are out there and you purchase the digital products, one of the things that I need to do is I need to go into all of those PDF documents and I need to update them all to say, please do not just copy and paste into your browser because there is a huge issue where if you just copy and paste from the PDF document the password, it doesn't always take it. And so a lot of people have been emailing me and tell me, ah, oh, it's not, the password's no longer valid. Can you tell me the new password? And I just have to type them back and say, you know, just do me a favor, go in and type in the password manually or restart your browser and and it should work with no problem at all. But anyway, so what happens is they get this PDF document and it's going to uh, tell them to go to this page, put in this password, and then all of that training material is there on my website. Now they can, if they want to, if it's a video, if it's a video product, all of the videos are embedded on the website, and so they can actually consume everything from the website. And then there's also the ability to download either the MOV or the MP4 video files so that they can actually download those, they can keep them forever completely fine. Whatever materials are there, they can be consumed from the site or downloaded either way or both, and as far as I'm concerned, the way that I have it set up is that your access to those materials do not expire. So no expiration date whatsoever. That just continual access is often, as much as you want to review those materials, that is how I'm doing those. So to answer your question, um, and that was Tony that asked those, um, basically you what you do is you get a PDF document and you and every, all the materials are there on my site. I am not trying to deliver in uh, a total of, what is it, eight videos that are about three or 400 megabytes a piece all via my shopping cart. That's just not something I wanna do. I don't wanna put that into a big zip file that's 1.3 gigabytes. Uh, So what I've done is I've made all of that stuff available in bite-sized chunks that if people do wanna download it, they can download one video at a time and and not worry about timing out and all those other things so it's very quick very easy to just just simply uh send them a pdf document that gives them access to everything so hopefully that helps and now we're moving to freebie guy so let's go ahead and see what he has to say
4: hey cliff this is leslie the freebie guy from the freebieguy.net and this question is for the podcast answer man First of all, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing at PodcastAnswerMan.com. I've purchased a few of your products, and they are phenomenal. I've been able to set up my own little studio here, and I purchased the Mackie mixer that you recommended. I purchased the Edderall recorder, and they are just awesome. Now, contrary to what you recommended, I did not get the Heil microphone. I know, I'm terrible. But I decided to go with the Rode Procaster and that's because I really just love what Rode does and I wanted to try that mic out. And I've been very pleased with what it does. My question, though, has nothing to do with hardware, it has to do with the software you recommend. I know that you use Adobe Audition for your podcasts, and that's the one that you highly recommend. Now, I run a recording studio, and I have my podcast studio set up inside of my recording studio. And because I have a recording studio, I have some software, I have um, Pro Tools, I also have, of course, GarageBand and Audacity. But... I also have Adobe Sound Booth that came with an Adobe Suite that I bought a while back. My question is this What is the difference between Adobe Audition and Adobe Sound Booth? I've never used either, but I'm thinking about switching to that in order to do my podcast. So, number one, what is the difference between the two? And number two, would I really benefit from getting Adobe Audition if I already have? Adobe Sound Booth. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Um, thank you so much once again for everything you do. I hope you can forgive me for not buying the Heil microphone, <laughs> but I'd, I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to your answer. Thank you and God bless. All right. Well, first and foremost, you
0: are forgiven for not buying the Hile. Uh, the Rode microphones are not bad microphones. In fact, I would say, you know, you've if, if in my a uh, list of quality i would start out you know with the shure sm58 microphone which does a wonderful job by the way and then on the upper end of what i would recommend uh, is the Heil pr40 microphone and i would consider uh, if if the let's just say if the shure sm58s were to give you what i consider an audio quality of about uh, from 1 to 10 i would say that the shure microphones are going to give you a quality of about a 7 or an 8 Heil's going to give you the quality of a, of a of a ten, and and I would say the Rode microphones are going to be somewhere between an eight and a nine, and so I think they're they're good microphones. I personally would recommend anybody looking at a Rode microphone um, that you would consider just spending a little extra money to get the Heil PR40. It's not a whole lot more expensive if you're saving up that amount. However, for those of you who are going to get a Rode microphone. There are two types that are just like what Leslie here has, and and he mentioned that he has the Procaster, and that is the one I would recommend if you're going to get one of these mics. I would not recommend the Rode Podcaster. Now, my co-host for Help I Got a Mac has a Rode Podcaster, And he absolutely loves it. And it's because it's the same exact microphone as the Rode Procaster. The only difference is that instead of having an XLR port on the back of it that you can plug into a mixer and then all of of a sudden bring in multiple microphones and uh, multiple other audio sources and do you know, mix minus uh, magic and all this other stuff. Instead, he's tied to taking that directly into his computer. And if the computer does not accept more than one USB microphone, then by golly, he he's stuck with just one microphone. If he wants to do, all of a sudden, he wants to do a podcast where he and a friend of his is in studio with him, he would need to, you know, uh, find some way to bring that second audio source in. So, Anyway, um, with that being said, I'm I'm glad that you got the Procaster and not the Podcaster. So, congratulations on your new microphone. Now, going to your question, which is about Adobe Audition versus Soundbooth. Personally, I want to tell you right now, I have never, ever used Adobe Soundbooth. Now, with that being said, I have had several people who have asked this question in the past, and so I went and did some research, and I found that there is a lot of information in, out there. In fact, all you need to do is just go to Google and type in Adobe Audition versus Sound Booth, and there are a lot of different videos out there and blogs and everything that's going to talk to you about them. If I can just give you a summary real quick, less, less, less less and less features Uh, the ability to tweak certain sounds that they have the basics of everything that you would need to do the just the very basics of audio editing and audio tweaking but the actual ability to filter certain and to to have more levels of control um, are just not there and in my opinion you would be better off using um, audacity's free software then you would be uh, using Adobe uh, Booth, Adobe Booth software. Now, I don't know if Adobe Soundbooth has the Fraunhofer encoder, and if it does, that means it's, that would actually put it at, you know, a check mark in its place, but because I haven't even looked, I'm not sure. Uh, would you benefit from using Adobe Audition? I personally would not podcast myself without it, but be, I, I'm a total audio snob. Okay, And I found something that works in Adobe Audition that I've not found anywhere else, at least that does the same amount of sound augmentation as the multi-band compressor that I absolutely love inside of Adobe Audition. Does every podcaster need this? No, you don't. In fact, if you go back and listen to the last uh, seven episodes of, uh, of Podcast Answer Man, my show did not have its signature sound. And the reason for that is my um, my virtual assistant who processes all my files using Adobe Audition 3.0 on her PC, when she finally got that all installed on her system, I had given her instructions to set up my secret sauce. And unfortunately, she did not choose the broadcast setting on the multiband compressor. And so I had noticed that, man, my shows just don't sound the way I want them to sound. There must be something going on there. And so sure enough, I got on via GoToMeeting and, and we went through and I saw the preset that she had set for My Secret Sauce and I'm like, eh, no, no, I, that's, that's not right. So we need to adjust that. And so we did. We adjusted it. set it into the broadcast setting on the multiband compressor and uh, had her tweak the settings to exactly the way I like them. And guess what? These shows are sounding right back to the way that I want them to sound. And so, very important for me that I use Adobe Audition. Is it very important for you? I don't know. It depends. I mean, obviously, what what's most important to you? If 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 you're just looking for software that's going to edit, you know, bits and pieces out, and and if you're looking to just bring in audio clips, you know, and, and multi-track functionality and all that other stuff, I'm sure Sound Booth is going to offer you most of what you need. Uh, but I can just share with you that the the ability once you get into some of those. Uh, processing features of SoundBooth you have you you have like your choice of you know do you want good quality or do you want you want best quality or or even the greatest quality and, and, or and are good better or best or whatever you're going to get like three of those instead of having just a whole dashboard of of settings and what you won't have there is the multiband compressor and so i would not be able to do what i want to do in SoundBooth so is it worth it? Here's the deal. I, you know, what is it? $349 for Adobe Audition. If you are a student or you know a student, I want to let you know, and I'll tell this to everybody, students and and I think even teachers can purchase Adobe Audition for $149. Uh, so that, that's something to keep in mind as well. But uh, personally, I, I have a hard time just saying this off the cuff, but my opinion would be that based upon the YouTube videos that I saw where people were doing side-by-side comparisons of Adobe Audition to Soundbooth, my recommendation would be to go with Audacity. Just make sure that you do not use Audacity to convert your MP3 to MP3 files. Use Audacity, export as Wave, and use iTunes or some other device to get you over to an MP3 file using the Fraunhofer encoder. And uh, I talk about that in the Audacity 101 tutorial and, and a bunch of other places. So, anyway, I hope that helps out. And so, next we're going to move on to Jim Beagley. Jim, take it away.
5: Hey, Cliff. This is Jim Bigley from Central Pennsylvania here. And uh, question for the podcast answer man: I'm getting really close to uh, re- releasing a podcast for my uh, for my teaching the Civil War with Technology website uh at teach the civil war dot com. But one question that I have for you that I don't fully understand is metadata and what I need to add in terms of I've recorded the file, I've recorded the podcast, if you will, and then what metadata do I need to add? And then what the second part of the question is, where do I add that? I've been using I've been playing around with a, Adobe audition on my Mac for with a with a beta version and uh, GarageBand and whatnot. So, do I, When when do I add that metadata? And what metadata do I need? So, I'm getting really close. From that point, I think I, I get it. I can upload it to to Libsyn and um, or my website and do the feed burner stuff. But I just wanted to know what metadata that I needed to add. So, thanks again, Cliff, and um, I look forward to to hearing your response.
0: All right, Jim, thank you very much, and congratulations on moving forward with uh, the Teach the Civil War stuff that you're working on, and I'm very excited to hear about that. The v- very first thing I'm going to tell you to do is go over to PodcastAnswerMan.com tagging. That's T-A-G-G-I-N-G. Again, that's uh, PodcastAnswerMan.com slash tagging. And I have a video tutorial that's free, by the way. It's it's just a short little video that I did to demonstrate the one of the things that most brand new podcasters completely miss out on, this idea of tagging your MP3 files. And so I go through and walk you through step-by-step all the things that you should be thinking about when you're tagging your files. As far as just giving you a quick overview of that, number one, I think the most critical and most important thing you could add to your MP3 metadata is a picture. Uh, put, you know, If you have some podcast artwork, I would recommend 600 by 600 uh, artwork th- these days, although if you have 300 by 300, it's completely okay. Um, You know, I'm recommending 600 by 600 because of people who might play your podcast on their iPad or Apple TV device or something else like that. But anyway, 300 by 300 had been the standard for a long time. Just put your artwork in there. There's nothing worse than somebody downloading your content and then all of a sudden they have this beautiful piece of workmanship known as an iPhone or an iPod, and 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 then all of a sudden it goes to display your artwork and it just shows you this ugly, you know, default iTunes graphic with a little music note or whatever. Uh, it, it And, and it, it actually communicates, I believe, and, and it's not just my own opinion, I've actually heard this from a lot of people, it communicates a, a lack of you know, uh, a lack of effort on the part of the person doing the podcast, and and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's just it's just ignorance of the fact that you know you can do this. And so, um, I would highly recommend that the number one most important tag that you put in there is your image tag. Put just drag your image right on into there and and put that in. Uh, the other things that are important, I think the title. In the title field, you should put in your... And by the way, I would only worry about ID3 version 2. That's all I worry about. I, do, I wouldn't even worry about ID3 version 1. Uh, there are still some very, very, very old MP3 devices that read those tags. If you want to spend some extra time to do that, by all means, go right ahead. But for me, I only do the ID3 version 2 tags. And the title, you would want to put the title of your episode. In the artist field, I always put my own name or my network's name like gspn.tv. In the album field, I like to put like podcastanswerman.com or socialmediaserenity.com. It's just a place for me to, to put an additional branding of my website in into the tag. So in the album field, I put that there. If you want, some people choose just to put the name of their podcast in the album field. Um, and, and I would recommend that you stay pretty consistent from podcast episode to episode. Um, then for genre, I would recommend that you put in podcast, and chances are the software you have will not have that as a dropdown, and if it doesn't, then just type it in. And then what I would recommend also is putting your show notes that you would type up and put on the website, copy and paste those both into the comment tag, and if your software has it, the lyrics tag. So those are the things. And, of course, again, if you go to podcastanswerman.com slash tagging, I show a little bit more there. All right, so let's move on to Keith Snow, who has questions about his Yeti sno- uh, um, microphone. So here we go.
1: Hey, Cliff. This is uh, Keith Snow with the Harvest Eating Podcast. Um, this is a question for the Podcast Answer Man show. And my question is this. I am using a – what is this thing? Um a blue Yeti microphone, and I'm not exactly sure uh, how close I'm supposed to be speaking into this because a lot of times when I'm recording my show, I move around a lot, and you know, when I get excited or whatever, and I'm finding that some of the uh, audio gets, you know, you, you can hear it and then you can't hear it. So a little primer um, on how close uh, we should be to the microphone would be a great help. Um, this is a USB mic, in case um, you don't know the brand. I am still hoping to um, purchase one of your Heil PR40s because they sound so great. And uh, anything that you could you could uh, tell me to to improve my sound quality and how close I need to stay to this mic because I uh, right now I'm pretty close to it and I feel like I'm uh, you know strapped in here. So uh, anything. About that, would be greatly appreciated. Cliff, keep up the great work. Your shows are awesome and uh, you are a real blessing. Thanks,
0: man. All right, Keith, thank you very much. I am going to tell you right now without having some kind of additional wind screen or pop filter, uh, my recommendation is that you not be as close as you were just now because I heard a couple popped peas, you know, and, and I'll, I'll do that for you popped peas. So so there you go. That's that's how it sounds when I say popped peas without a windscreen. So I heard a couple popped peas. Now, if you're not I personally I like to be right up on a microphone. And the reason why is if you're not right up on a microphone, and when I say right up on the microphone, I like to have my mouth within three inches of the microphone. I don't care if it's a condenser microphone or a dynamic microphone. I want to be right up next to the microphone. The reason why is you were right next to the microphone. I heard you loud and clear. Everything's fine. But guess what I heard also? I heard your computer fan in the background. Now, it's not a huge deal. I understand not everybody's an audio snob like I am, but I did hear it. It's it's there, and if I was listening to an, you know, a 45-minute podcast episode from you, I would hear your fan through the entire thing, and if you were to type on your keyboard, or even to write a, a note to yourself on a piece of paper, I'm gonna hear your pen strike the page, So that and that's something that's gonna happen with a Yeti microphone, because it is a condenser microphone, as far as I know. Um, now, with that being said, my friend Bruce Turner has a Yeti microphone, and he says he's usually about four inches away, and four inches is an inch more than I like to be, but I think it's it's, it's good enough, so I would agree. Somewhere between two to four inches is a very reasonable place to be. Now, does that put you right up there and, and kind of lock you in? It does, you know, and, and if I do this, if I start going off to the right and you, you know my voice is left, you know lower. And if I go off to the left, my voice is lower. And so one of the things that I think is important for me to do is to stay on mic. And it is it is a pain in the butt sometimes to stay on mic. Although that's one of the reasons why I love having a Heil boom arm because I can, if I want, I can really sit back and relax and lay back in my chair. And those who are watching live saw that I just adjusted myself and I brought the microphone to me versus me leaning forward to the microphone so if you have one of those tabletop mic stands you know those aren't bad but the chances are you're going to to be able to have consistent audio you're going to need to hunch down and stay in front of that microphone through the whole time. Yes, you can try to do some things through normalization and hard limiting and all that stuff in post-production. But man, why do that when you can actually just get perfect level audio levels throughout the entire show by having proper mic placement, I'd say somewhere between two to four inches away. Uh, you know, Keep your gain down quite a bit so that you, know, you don't have... Because you're so much louder next to the microphone... Um, you know, you keep the gain down, it it brings down the amount of noise that comes in from the ambient background, and and that should help out. So, and, and as far as, let me just show you, I'm going to take away my pop filter. So here's my pop filter free Heil PR40. So popping, 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 popping. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you uh, if I did not have a pop filter right away, what I would do, this is what I would do. I'm going to stay the same distance. I'm going to stay within about two inches of this microphone and I'm going to say pop peas pop peas. Now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to basically I'm the same distance away but now I'm actually speaking kind of like diagonally and so I can say popped peas pop 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 and I'm not popping my peas nearly as much because I'm not speaking directly into the microphone. I'm all it's as if I'm speaking to You know, sort of to the off to the side diagonally of the microphone. So popped peas is directly pop, pop, pop. And then off to the side is popped peas, pop, pop, pop. And so even if you don't get a pop filter, stay up close to that microphone and speak. Almost put it like off to the side, like to the side of your mouth and and speak past the microphone instead of directly into it. But if you get a good pop filter or a windscreen on that thing, you should be able to speak directly into it without the popped peas as well. All right. So uh, let's see here. Um, You know what? We still have enough time for this. It's just barely, I think, uh, to keep this under an hour. It's a 15 minute thing. Uh, Real quick, I want to let you know about my A to Z course. I'm so excited about it. I know I tell you about this all the time, but hey, this is a part of what I do and why I do Podcast Answer Man to give you free information week after week, but also to promote the products and services that I do here. And I am doing this class again in May, and I want to let you know that so far I now have four spots that are definitely filled and a fifth one that might be filled. I will probably know that by the end of this week. And so there are only going to be 20 spots available for our May class. And for anybody who signs up prior to April 1st, you will get the same price as the people in my current class and that is $800, and then after that, once I start marketing this thing, once the current class is finished, I'm gonna begin marketing the next class. The next class is going to be better than the first one because I've learned a lot of things from this first class, and uh, there's more materials now than there were, and uh, it's just going to be a better class overall, just from what I've learned, and the price of the next class is going to be $999 instead of $800, so you get $200 off if you do commit prior to April 1st, so get that in, Uh, just send me an email, that's all you have to do, in fact, you don't have to worry about paying for it prior to then, you just let me know that you want in and that you're committed to coming to the class, and I will put you on the list, so there you go, Um, Basically, I want to also say that we have um, a special interview that I did with Rob Walsh from Libsyn about their new premium features, and and, uh, Wayne called in with this question. So I'll let Wayne's question start us off here.
4: Hi, Cliff. This is Wayne from New York. I'm just emailing in to get your opinion on Libsyn's new partial premium tools that they just added. I know that you just recently left that model, but I want to know what you think the potential is for those tools for other podcasters. Thank you.
0: All right, Wayne, thank you very much. And uh, so Wayne's asking, basically, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So I'm going to play the next 15 minutes and 36 seconds here. And then I will share um, any additional thoughts that I have to wrap up the last uh, minute of the show. So here you go. I'm I'm just going to play this interview with Rob from Lipson. All right, folks, I have Rob Walsh from Lipson.com, Wizard Media. What do you guys go by most of the time? I go by Wizard Media slash Lipson. I don't know which one to go by either. All right, good.
6: Either one, but uh, Lipson.com is where most people know us if they're hosting their podcast with us.
0: Well, Rob, the reason why I'm having you on Podcast Answer Man here is because I've heard that you have a brand new service that's coming out that is going to allow podcasters who want to, let's say, do premium content. Uh, you, for the very, you, meaning Libsyn Wizard Media, uh, is going to be offering a service for the very first time for such people. Is that correct?
6: Right, very first time for Libsyn customers. I mean, there's other ways to do premium content that are out there. But- Good clarification. Absolutely. <laughs> Right, so I don't. This I want to clarify right up front is not a premium RSS feed. There's some premium RSS feed services out there. We decided to go with a premium web page because we felt that was easier for the end users, for the for the the consumers. A lot of times they get confused about RSS feeds and, and and whatnot. So this is if you have a web browser, if any of your listeners have a web browser or viewers have a web browser, they can go and get the premium. Additionally. It's not just audio or video podcast content that's going to be, you can make premium. You can also do blog posts. So, this is integrated in with your Libsyn account. Um, if you're already using your Libsyn page as your main page, we'll create a secondary web page, which will be your premium page. If you're not using Libsyn page, you already have your own website, then you can use your Libsyn.com page as your premium page. All right. Well, either way, you can manage it right from your interface. You can release content right to that premium page. Um, and and people are going to do it two different ways. One is um, some people want to have just the most recent episodes out there, say the most 20 most recent episodes free out on their RSS feed, but have their back catalog be their premium content. And for that, all you have to do with the Libs and Services is say, hey, limit your RSS feed to 20, re- 20 most recent I- items. And then on the publishing to your premium page, you just publish it out and let them all be there. So it's a very easy way to make your back catalog available. Um, Other people such as myself, uh, I'm going to be doing it for my Today in iOS podcast, and I'm doing it where I'm doing extra content. I'm doing an extra blog post a day that's going to be part of that premium page. So they're going to get my podcast for free, as they always have, and all the back episodes. But if they want to get individual posts that I put out each day, usually answering somebody's question, that's what I'm going to be doing my premium with. So. Two different ways to look at this, to use this, to offer out to your your listeners.
0: All right. Well, here, I'm going to ask you some pretty uh, tough questions on this one, uh, just because I want to see who this is right for in my audience. First and foremost, a majority of my audience knows that I am a huge proponent for Libsyn. Are you guys aware of how much I promote you guys? Yes, we are. And we appreciate it. And we love you for it. Well, let me ask you first, and I have never asked you guys this before, or if I have, I've forgotten the answer. Do you have an affiliate program?
6: We do not have an affiliate program. Ah,
0: oh, man, it doesn't matter. I still love Libsyn, and I suggest everybody listening to me host your media files at Libsyn.com. And by the way, I'm very good friends with Todd Cochran and Angelo Mondado and all the great people over there at um, Blueberry without the ease. Uh, And they have a great hosting solution over there. The only reason I support Lipson and boast about them all the time is not necessarily because they're better, because I don't know. I've never used Blueberry's hosting program over there. I've never used their media hosting. I'm sure they're great and all that wonderful stuff. I don't even know what the price difference is between the two. But I've never made bones about the fact the reason why I promote Libsyn consistently is because you guys were there for me in the beginning days of when my podcast got me shut down because I used too much bandwidth with my host and they wanted to bill me thousands of dollars. So I was glad that you were there then. You've been there for me ever since and I've got more than 2,500 podcast episodes sitting on your servers out there that by golly, if you didn't stay in business, I (laughs) I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So I am very selfishly promoting libsyn
6: now you have a lot more episodes than most people and we appreciate that you host them with us
0: here's the thing though i I don't know if you know this about me rob i don't know if you listen to podcast answer man and doesn't or wouldn't be offended one way or the other it doesn't matter but here's the thing is is if you don't know this about me every single person that i send the lips in i tell them get what you have currently get the classic 250 and do not use their website. Yes, they have an all-inclusive thing. Yes, you can let them do everything for you. They have—they'll the, do the website. They'll do the RSS feed. They'll submit you to iTunes. They'll do all of those other wonderful things, and they do it. And, and, and you know what? It makes it a breeze. But I, they even have iPhone apps, you know, and, and all that stuff. I, I say, I personally, I'm like. I, I, my recommendation, use them for one thing and one thing only, and that is your media host, store your MP3 files up there and let them give you that unlimited bandwidth that you so much need or that, will eventually need.
6: Right. And I would tell people the opposite. Use us for everything. Uh, personally, I do that with Today an iPhone. Today an iOS podcast, I host my, my website is the Libsyn website, which I've customized the blog page. It's very, if you go to today and I go to iPhone.com, you can see the web page. Um, my premium page is now tii.libsyn.com slash your VIP for my premium page. I have my iPhone app there. I could have an Android app if I wanted it, but I felt that'd be hypocritical to put an Android app out. Um, so I'm doing everything there. I've, my RSS feed's managed through it, but yeah, Feed Burner is my feed that I put out there to the public.
0: And let me explain to you why I, I would suggest my audience. And, and, and let me just say, let me just stress this. Not everybody in my audience, because what you're talking about, what you're doing is probably going to work for a lot of people in my audience. I'm, I'm going to say, don't let Libsyn take their RSS feed and send it over to iTunes directly. Get a FeedBurner account, take the RSS feed from Libsyn, send it through FeedBurner, and then send it off to iTunes.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I recommend the same thing. I mean, if people go to my tutorial on how to podcast, podcast com slash... Uh, podcast uh, podcast one dot com slash podcast one hundred one. In there, I even recommend using a feed burner feed.
0: And I see that on today on iPhone, I'm hovering over your subscribe to RSS, and I see it's feeds to dot feedburner com slash t i i or t i i t i i. Yeah,
6: yep. and, and that's fine. But here's what I'll say to people that there are then a lot of people that use the the Libsyn feed in iTunes. And one thing about Libsyn where we're different than a lot of other people. We let you put in the iTunes new feed tag in there on your own. You don't have to contact us. If you want to move away from Libsyn, you can put in any tags, any custom tags you want in the RSS feed. You can put in custom tags at the episode level. You can put in custom tags at the the item level or the channel level.
0: That is awesome.
6: So, So that is different from any almost anyone else out there that's offering a hosting solution is we let you take control of your feed uh, as far as putting in all the extras. We'll even uh, do a, an append for PodTrack append or a Blueberry append for your items. So, I mean, we don't try to lock you into Libsyn. So, and we make it a lot easier. I mean, the reality is, if you want to make your life easier, use all the Libsyn tools. It's there to make your life easier and shorter. And, and I tell you what, I used to hand code my RSS feed for today an iPhone. I used to hand code my RSS feed for a podcast 411. And with the new tools, I found I was saving 20 to 30 minutes of work, extra work at the end of my production by just letting Libsyn handle it all. And to me that was, any amount of time I was saving to me is great because I'm like most podcasters, I'm finishing my podcast at two or three in the morning. But for an independent podcaster, if your main thing is your podcast, and that's what you're doing with it, You know, and you want to generate revenue from your podcast and you want to have an app and you want to have premium offering and and you want to have a media player and you have your RSS feed the beauty of having the Libsyn system is that you can publish to the different destinations all from inside the Libsyn account so with the premium offering you could say the episode goes live you could set the go live date for the destination for the premium page to be a day or so before it's on the RSS feed Right, um, or be and, which could be a day before it goes out to the media player, which may be embedded out on a lot of different sites. Gotcha. So you can set up episodes to go live for a certain period of time uh, in one destination, and then get killed off those destinations uh, based on a date, or you can pick X amount of episodes to be on those destinations. If people want to see it right now. Uh, you can go to tii.libsyn.com forward slash VIP, or you can go to WTF pod.lipson.com forward slash premium. Those mm-hmm. are two that are live right now. You can see, and, and it's just a page that'll block and it'll ask you to, to sign up and pay to get access to. And how a- much is this? Anybody who has a Lipson account can have this. So anyone who has a Lipson account, we can turn this on. We do a rev share model with, with the producers. 60% goes to the producers, 20% to Wizard, 20% to MediaPass, our partner. Okay, and we'll create the extra page for you. And again, this will work for people that are already using the Lipsin page as their main page. We'll create a secondary page for them. Or for people that aren't using the Lipsin page, you're already using a WordPress blog or something like that, we'll create, you know, we'll, we'll turn your current Lipsin page that you're not using into your premium page. And, and it'll allow you to send people there from your website to sign up and get content um, and pay you on a subscription basis for access to that content. And that content can be a blog post, it can be an audio or video file. It's just an easy way, we think, for podcasters that want to create a premium offering for their audience um, to do so. And how do you get paid? Um, We will send you a check if you're in the U.S., Uh, if you're outside the U.S., we'll send it to you via PayPal.
0: Let's just say your audience wants to sign up, how are they paying for this subscription?
6: Um, they're going to pay it through, um, media Pass and it's either credit card or
0: PayPal. Okay. So they can do Visa, MasterCard, Discover. Yeah. Good. Okay. So going back to the fact that uh, this is not going to give them a premium RSS, they actually do have to come to the site to get the new information, right? Correct. Okay.
6: But they can do so through, you know, browser on a, on a smartphone. So, you know, they can do it still from a mobile device. They're just going to have to do it through through a browser, wherever that browser might be.
0: Do you have to be on any certain plan? Can you be on any plan?
6: You can, can, if you're not a Libsyn customer and you want this, you can sign up for the $5 a month plan and, and do that. You can come in and just be the only thing you do with the Libsyn account. So if you're a blogger and you want to do premium content, extra blog posts, this is a way for you to come in and, and even add a little bit of extra audio or video content into your, you know, because you get 50 meg of uploads in a, in a month.
0: All right. I am going to go ahead and end that there. There was a little bit more, but uh, in the desire to keep this in under one hour for this episode, I just want to say um, my thoughts on this are very much just like the thoughts in the gspn.tv live chat room that has been happening uh, <laughs> as I go through and 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 uh, read what people are saying as as they hear this. Now I want to stress this: there are many people out there who are doing everything through Libsyn. I mean that means that they're le- letting Libsyn run their website for them. They're they, you know they just upload their MP3 files and and pretty much you know do all the information about it, their show notes, all of that stuff is happening in Libsyn. Uh, for many of those people, though, <laughs> I'm looking at Daniel in the chat room. He says we pray for those people. Anyway, seriously though, there those there's a lot of people out there that do that. that. You know, for them, podcasting is totally a hobby. They have no desire to build a business or anything like that out of this. And for those people, you know, you know, if it works, then that's great. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um. However, when it comes to premium services, offering premium content to your audience, um, there are a couple of things that I think about this. First and foremost, I, I know that he says that Libsyn only keeps 20%, but also if you listen closely, you also hear that um, what was it? Media Pass is their partner in this. They also keep 20%, which it means that a total of 40% of the income that's generated from your hard work and efforts is going to somebody else, and you only get 60% of that. And personally, if I'm I'm if I'm thinking, okay, if you're serious enough to start putting out some premium content that you're actually doing extra work outside of your podcast then you're probably going beyond the bounds of just being a hobbyist, right? And and the, here's the situation now. If I could get really excited and really behind this, really behind this, if it offered RSS feeds, you know, the password-protected pre- RSS feeds, because then you could syndicate your content out with this blog post and all these podcast episodes or whatever else that you put on this password-protected page. That's all it is. It's a It's a password-protected page. And it's a password-protected page that you're paying somebody else to create for you. Now, if you have no clue how to set up a password-protected page and you want somebody else to take care of all that for you, you have no desire to figure out how to accept payments and can manage payments, then this is for you. And I imagine that there are some people out there who will love this. However, for any of you are that are listening to this that are my potential clients that are thinking about building businesses, building brands. You want to manage your own websites. You want to have your own material, control everything on your own. And if you're going to create digital content for sale, video tutorials, extra audio episodes, extra blog posts, or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure that you're in control of that. And I would think that you would want to keep 100% of the commissions or of the the profits from from that work. So at least that's been my own desire. But uh, I did want to share this with you because Wayne wanted to know and Rob was great enough to share it with us. Until next time, folks, join the community.